Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Lots to get to. A lot to get to after uh, spending the day over at uh, the Raiders facility in Henderson. Uh, Lots to draw from, lots to talk about today. Uh, But first and foremost, Talking about COVID-19 and vaccinations and the importance of teams staying connected on this issue, the Raiders included, and uh, had a uh, insightful talk with new Raiders defensive tackle Solomon Thomas uh, on the vaccination, the education of it, and why it's important for uh, teams to be on the same page uh, as far as the vaccinations go. We're going to listen to what Solomon Thomas had to say, and then I have some news uh, to report right after we hear from Solomon Thomas. Um, you know, something that we talk about, you know, we have some uh, professionals on the team who are very good at communicating about the vaccine and the science behind it, what's good, what's bad. And, um, but yeah, I know as a collective unit, um, you know, you know, we've all had to talk about it. It's, you know, there's restrictions if you don't get the vaccine, there's less restrictions if you get the vaccine. So it's definitely something we have to talk about and, you know, think about, you know, you know, there's a lot of close contact cases and we don't want those. Um, and it's what we want everyone to be healthy, we want everyone to be safe. And uh, we just want to make the right decision as a team. We want to respect everyone's personal decision. Um, you know, it's hard, you know, it's not, it's not a easy thing to just be like, hey, I'm going to get it, you know. So it's something you got to put thought into and research and, um, you know, have some conviction behind. You know, if you get close contact, you don't have players playing, that's a that's a disadvantage. Uh, so it's for sure something being talked about, um, trying to get a clear description from the PA and the NFL on what their restrictions actually are and how they're going to be played during the season. Uh, we still don't know, like, the, all the officials on that. So trying to get that so we can, you know, make it collective unit as, as a team and, and personally so we can, you know, have the safest and best season possible. That's Raiders' new defensive tackle, Solomon Thomas, uh, when uh, we talked to him uh, earlier today out at Henderson. I asked him about, um, you know, just where the Raiders are uh, in terms of the vaccination. And uh, there's it's, – it's important. It's more important than people probably might think. Um, and obviously, it's an individual decision whether to be vaccinated or not. We all understand that. Whatever your views are, whatever your feelings are, um, you're, you have a right to them, but there's a collective element to this as well. And it's, you know, from person to person, human being to human being, where you work, where you go, the restaurants, movie theaters, uh, whatever the case might be. So your decision doesn't affect just you. It affects people that are around you. I mean, that's just the facts of the matter. I'm not being political. Uh, I'm not trying to sway anybody in one way or another, but it's not just about you. There's a collective aspect uh, to all of this that needs to be um, talked about. And in the NFL in particular, and the Raiders um, specifically, there's advantages for um, teams that are you know, connected on this issue and uh, the numbers are good in terms of the vaccination. Uh, there's a comp- there's could be a competitive advantage because the NFL 
is telling its players, hey, the choice is yours. You know, we're not going to um, force any player to get vaccinated. Now, that's a little bit different with coaches and team employees. And I, I have to stress, nobody's being forced to do anything. However, if you're um, a tier one or tier two employee, and not to get into uh, all the, you know, the too thick into the grass on all that, tier one and tier uh, two employees include people like John Gruden, the head coach, and all of his assistant coaches, you know, and then personnel that deal directly with the players uh, in a one-on-one basis and in a collective basis, meeting rooms, practice fields, weight room, all of that, right? So nobody's being forced to do anything. Um, but if you don't get it, then you're going to get restricted from, you know, if, if you're a tier, war, tier one employee currently and you don't get vaccinated, you lose your tier one um, uh, distinction. And that means that you're not going to have access to players, close uh, personal contact with players. You can't be in meeting rooms with the players. You can't be out on the practice field with the players uh, and so on and so forth. And if you're a player, you don't lose that distinction. But for players that are vaccinated, as Solomon Thomas talked about, um, it's a much less restrictive world if you do get vaccinated compared to the players that don't. At some point, the NFL is going to figure out um, who's been vaccinated and who isn't. And for those that are vaccinated, uh, there is an intent to return things to as normal as possible and uh, least restrictive as possible. For the players that opt to, for whatever reason, not be vaccinated, they're going to have to adhere to, follow, and be subject to much more severe protocols, face masks, not being able to be in meeting rooms uh, with teammates, uh, socially distanced, um, you know, in the various settings uh, in, in the team building. So as you can see, you know, you want everybody to be vaccinated. Uh, if you're a football team and why, because you want your guys together, you want your team together as much as possible. You want guys operating at the facility in as normal a setting as possible as, as to the extent that we can all get back to normal. That is, that's what teams are striving for. So having said all that and having heard Solomon Thomas talk about, about you know, some, some real veteran leadership, there's a lot of education, there's a lot of talking going on among players, there's a lot of information sharing, uh, people are being responsible about it, professional about it, staying connected on it. Well, uh, the Raiders haven't officially come out and said, you know, where they stand uh, in terms of the numbers, but after doing some, um, you know, uh, looking into the matter, I can say this, a person that's close to the situation with direct knowledge of, of what's going on uh, indicated to me that the Raiders, under this person's estimation, probably is among, if, if they're not the best in the league, they're among the best in the league in terms of sheer numbers of players who've been vaccinated. Uh, this person also uh, indicated to me that all the coaches and support staff, uh, all, the, all the assistant coaches, head coach, et cetera, et cetera, have been vaccinated. So uh, if you're looking for some good news today, whatever your political lean is, whatever your uh, feelings are about the vaccination and all of that, it certainly looks like 
Raider players, uh, Raider coaches, the Raider uh, organization has stayed really connected on this uh, and, and, you know, leaned on each other, learned from each other, communicated with each other. Uh, and as a result of that, at least based on um, who I spoke to, uh, it looks like the numbers are, are really, really good. And that's, uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a pretty big thing. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the, you know, feelings on it, thoughts on it, politics of it, all of that, any of that stuff. Uh, everyone has a right to make their own decision. But if you're looking to win football games, if you're looking to field the best team possible, uh, if you're looking to maintain the healthiest setting possible, it doesn't, shouldn't, I should say, it shouldn't take, you know, a, a, a Rhodes Scholar scientist, an award-winning scientist to figure out, yeah, get the vaccination. Um, that's why we get vaccinated for polio and smallpox and everything else when we're uh, babies. That's what vaccinations do. They protect you from uh, these types of diseases and, and, and whatnot, COVID-19 uh, among them. And in the Raiders' case, uh, it's going to allow them to be as connected and together uh, as possible. So a little bit of good news, I think, anyway, um, as, as it relates to the Raiders uh, and vaccination. Um, but uh, off that subject, moving on to um, some of the observations from today's practice over at OTAs, another day of strong um attendance. Uh, there were some players who started the day out uh, on the field, uh, but retreated back uh, uh, behind the scenes. So there's probably some guys that, um, for whatever reason, took the day off from the on-field uh, part of today. However, they were uh, present. Um, you know, I, we were when, at last count um, in the 70s in terms of high 70s in terms of, uh, I think there was 11 players, let's put it that way, of the 90 uh, players on the roster, 11 that weren't on the field, um, you know, for the for the balance of the practice. And uh, Josh Jacobs and uh, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, two of the more prominent players, Quentin Jefferson, who are have not been out there, were not out there, uh, but and I talked about this earlier in the week. Um, the indication that I've gotten from uh, you know people in the know is that it's all good. Uh, uh, they're doing fine. They're doing okay. I think that um, I, I'm pretty sure everybody would love to have everybody in the building. Uh, but as we've mentioned, there's there's players that have a level of um, of, of respect and clout uh, and stature and um, confidence within the team and among their coaches. And so there's some that are just in a better position to say, Hey, look, uh, I'm going to do my own thing this time of year. And, uh, you know, that I'm not going to slouch, you know, that I'm going to show up ready to go, uh, when it becomes mandatory, which by the way, next week, uh, I think it's the 14th or the 16th is mandatory the mandatory mini camp. We'll get into that uh, a little bit and what that really means and what that really is. I would suspect, uh, that the players that we just mentioned, uh, Yannick Ngakwe and, and Josh Jacobs and Quentin Jefferson, I have a feeling they'll be there for uh, for minicamp. I don't know that for a fact, but I think once the mandatory part of it uh, becomes um, in play or gets in play, those guys will be there. But aside from that, Divine Diablo was not out there again today. He's been around, uh, I'm told. He's been participating in everything other than the on-field uh, aspect of it. Remember, Divine has not signed his rookie deal yet, so... Um, you know, I'm sure that plays uh, into it. A uh, couple of off the top of my head uh, observations. Um, the depth of the defensive line is really evident, and that's without Yannick and Yannick Ngakwe uh, out there right now. 
you know, when you watch the defensive line in action, when you watch them during their individual drills and you watch Max Crosby, who is in fantastic shape right now, just tremendous shape. Uh, and he's vocal um, and he's, he's being a leader out there. Um, you know, it looks like Max Crosby is in line um, for a really big season. Um, so uh, that, sh- you know, shines through. But the overall depth of that unit with he and, uh, you know, um, Clee Farrell, Carl Nassib has looked good uh, thus far, looked explosive uh, and in shape uh, so far in, in OTAs. Malcolm Koontz, they sent out a couple of videos of Malcolm Koontz uh, today. Looks explosive. Uh, looks like he might be able to uh, have a role uh, pretty early on. Um, so he, that part of it, you can see the depth of this defensive line. You can see the various different skill sets. I'd be shocked if this unit uh didn't make big strides forward. Obviously, they have to. We've talked about that a ton. There's no way that they could go through another season with just 14 and a half sacks. We've done the math. We've looked at these players uh, and what they've done in the past, what they've done historically, um, Solomon Thomas included, and kind of added it all up. And it's not crazy. It's not outlandish. It's not out of the realm. Uh, just to envision this defensive line with Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby and Clee Farrell and Carl Dassam and Malcolm Koontz and Quinton Jefferson and uh, Solomon Thomas and Darius Phylon, um, Jonathan Hankins, et cetera, et cetera. It's not out of the realm. It's not crazy. It's not a stretch to look at that defensive line and not think, you know what? They have the capability of getting uh, above and beyond 30 sacks. That's just, I mean, it, it would be a disappointment if they didn't. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then you add on, you know, um, what you might be able to get from uh, the linebackers and the safeties and the cornerbacks. Um, this probably could be another, you know, seven to 10 sacks right there. So now you're talking about. 40 and, and, and above, and that's double the sacks. So that they that this unit, this group, the defensive group had last year, that's a massive, massive, massive uh, improvement. They got to do it on the field. They got to do it on the grass. They got to do it when the lights turn on. But just looking at it and looking at it on paper, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able uh, to do that. So that defensive line absolutely 100% uh, stands out. You look at the secondary um, and the Raiders made a uh, another move today uh, to add a uh, a veteran cornerback. Um, get you his name in just one uh, in just one second. Um, a guy, he had three three interceptions last year uh, for the uh, Atlanta Falcons, and that's uh, Blighty Ra Wilson. I'm going to have to figure out how to how to pronounce all that, uh, but. You know, a, another veteran cornerback. He was productive uh, last year in his uh, in his time on the field. He's he's been there, done that. Um, but you look at the overall secondary, and it's pretty obvious that there's been some improvements to the secondary. Um, there's been additions to the secondary. We got a chance to talk to Casey Hayward, and we're going to play that uh, here uh, in a little bit as the as the show goes on. Um, but that group looks stronger. It looks deeper. Now, here's what's here's where it gets interesting. Uh, Casey Hayward, we spoke to him today. And when you look at Casey Hayward and that signing, um, you know, I think at first glance, you're looking at Casey Hayward, the veteran uh, who played the last four or five years with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. You look at him, he's played at a high level. He's a former uh, Pro Bowl cornerback. Uh, this guy can play. 
And but you look at his history, and he's played both uh, perimeter cornerback and slot cornerback. Well, if you're looking at recent investments that the Raiders have made in the secondary, i.e., first round picks, second round picks, a first round pick in Damon Arnett last year, a second round pick in Trayvon Mullen uh, the year before. Uh, you know, ideally, if you're the Raiders, you want both of those guys to remain on a track to be long term answers, long-term fixtures uh, at cornerback at, at for your team. I mean, that's why you invest a first-round pick. That's why you invest a second-round pick. Uh, you want guys to be here for the long haul. You're projecting guys to be here for the long haul. You believe, based on the draft capital that you've invested, that that's the type of player that they are. And so it behooves the Raiders to make sure that that happens by keeping those two players right where they are, staying on track, developing developing them into uh, players that the Raiders are going to be able to count on uh, for years to come. However, in talking, so let me backtrack real quick. So originally when the Raiders signed Casey Hayward, you start doing the math, you start taking into account everything that I just mentioned about the investment that the Raiders have made in Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett and the long range plan that they have, the ideal long-range plan that they have for both of those players, you would think, okay, Casey Hayward has played in the slot earlier in his career and played that position well. Uh, maybe he comes in here and moves to slot cornerback, and that way Trayvon Mullen stays right where he is, Damon Arnett stays right where he is, and they are on track to be the long-term And Vinny, that name is a, it's a Bleedy Ray Wilson. Bleedy Ray Wilson. Okay, sounds very good. Bleedy. Bleedy, that makes sense. I was going blighty, but bleedy sounds good. Thank you, Devon Cotton. That's our great producer, Devon Cotton, keeping me on track on the pronunciations. Uh, not my strong suit. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, getting back to Casey Hayward um, and the notion that maybe he moves to the slot. Remember, LaMarcus Joyner is no longer around. The Raiders have an opening at slot cornerback. It's a key position on this defense. It's growing more and more prominent as the years go on. Slot cornerbacks have to be fast enough, quick enough to stay with, um, you know, sometimes smaller wide receivers. They have to be good enough to deal with sometimes number one wide receivers because the way teams now uh, position their wide receivers are all over the field. You know, you may see. The other team's best wide receiver out on the perimeter, uh, in the slot, on the other side. Uh, they, they, they put them all over the field. And so your, your slot cornerback has to pretty much be able to defend everybody from that slot corner uh, and that position on the field. Uh, the, the eyesight is different in the slot compared to out, out uh, on the perimeter. You're just seeing the football world from a different perspective. And you have to be able to conquer that aspect of it as well. And oh, by the way, you better bring your hard hat because at slot cornerback, you're going to have to be a big part of run defense. Uh, remember, not everybody's running. You know, everybody's throwing it just because there's three cornerbacks out there or there's a slot cornerback. Sometimes they're going to challenge that slot cornerback uh, in the run game. And so you better bring your hard hat to deal with it, that slot cornerback has become a very, very important position on a defense, and you better have a good one. And so, anyway, the conventional thinking is, okay, 
Trayvon Mullen stays at one cornerback. David Arnett bounces back from an injury-riddled rookie season to claim that perimeter cornerback spot. You paid Casey Hayward, uh, you know, not a lot of money, but money. And he's a guy that's just too good, probably, uh, to just play a reserve role. You want him on the field as much as possible. Maybe the thinking is you move Casey Hayward to the slot. Well, having said all that, talked to Casey Hayward today about that very possibility. And it sure sounds like, A, he's playing um, the majority of OTAs. He's playing perimeter cornerback. Number two, while he said, hey, I'm open to doing anything, it sure sounded like and it sure looked like kind of prefers to be out on uh, the perimeter. Uh, And here's Casey Hayward talking about that very thing. Oh, man. I I haven't played inside in so long Um, since I was in Green Bay, but... uh, I mean, I, if, if I was asked, I can do it. Um, but my role, I feel like my role is, you know, what it, you know, whatever the team asks me to do. If it's from special teams to inside, outside, uh, be a leader, you know, uh, those my, you know, those are things. Whatever they ask me to do, I can do. Um, I've been doing it for a while at a high level, so whatever they ask me, I'm gonna do it. Uh, no, I just been outside. I don't really know too much of the inside. I haven't played inside in a while, so. But like I said, if they ask me to do it, I I can do it. I know the defense, so. I'm just saying, <laughs> um, based on what you just heard, sure sounds like Casey Hayward has his heart set on playing on the outside. Could he move inside? Yeah, if asked. Has he been asked that yet? Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like he's been playing exclusively out on the um, perimeter thus far in OTAs. Does he want to turn back the clock to play in the slot like he did earlier in his career in Green Bay? I'd have to say at this point, it would be begrudgingly. <laughs> you know, It wouldn't be like, hey, coach, I want to go play the slot. It would be more like, Gus Bradley sitting him down and saying, hey, man, um, got a question for you. How would you feel about and moving to the slot and Casey Hayward saying, or is this is this I mean, do I have a choice here or, you know, you know what I'm saying? It just sounds like Casey Hayward prefers to play out on the perimeter. And that's fine. He's good at what he does out there. Where does that leave Damon Arnett? Because I think Trayvon Mullen is good to go at one outside cornerback spot. Where does it leave Damon Arnett if Casey Hayward is out on the outside and he's too good probably to just be a reserve. I mean, that is viable. That is a possibility. Maybe he's just a reserve cornerback on this team, but maybe he's just too good for that. And maybe he needs to start. And where does that leave David Arnett? We'll talk about it uh, in just a little bit. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Abadar. By the way, Foster Moreau is coming up at 430. Cannot wait to talk to the former LSU tight end and a player I believe is in line for a big season in year three. You're in the huddle. Vinny Monster, Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Um, nothing specific. Uh, obviously, we both uh, have uh, a high respect for each other's game and each other personally. Obviously, we got uh, that Bama connection, so Rose hard. 
And uh, I just feel like once everything kind of gets going, bullets get flying, um, we're just going to rely on the things that we've kind of been adapted to grow into, and that's uh, being the best versions of ourselves and kind of really feeding off each other once we get in there. Uh, his running style is definitely infectious, uh, you know, the, the bruising physical style, being able to make people miss in space, uh, me vice versa. So um, I definitely feel like we'll just be able to complement each other, especially with everybody in that room. Uh, we got a lot a lot of high respect for everybody in the room and whoever touched the ball, uh, we're going to be their biggest fans, you know, for that play and continue on, you know, as the season goes on. That is new Raiders running back Ken Yon Drake speaking today from uh, the Raiders practice facility uh, in Henderson. It was it was another hot day. Obviously, we're in June. We're in Las Vegas. You do the math. But man, it was much more pleasant today <laughs> compared to last Wednesday when it was just boiling, boiling hot. Give these guys a lot of credit. They're out there working. Um, and some of the drills uh that that i see especially those uh, defensive tackles they're they're being put through the ringer right now and uh and and everybody's you know uh, manning up everybody's getting through it uh everybody's sucking it up it's hot it's las vegas again you do the math uh but it's really encouraging enough if, if you're a raiders fan you should be encouraged by the work that they're putting in you should be encouraged by the attendance um by how many players are out there participating in a quote unquote voluntary um, situations. So uh, a lot of good things happening over at uh, the practice facility at, at Henderson. And without further ado, uh, we would like to welcome in one of those players uh, that has uh, uh, shown a lot of commitment this offseason and uh, is out there working really hard uh, in that intense heat of Las Vegas and was watching him today. Uh, the writers were doing a lot of uh, 23 personnel uh red zone uh, work and uh, Foster Moreau, the young tight end from LSU figured pretty prominently uh, in those uh, settings. Foster, first of all, thank you so much for spending some time with us in uh, the huddle. Uh, really appreciate it. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Vinny, how's it going? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing great. Um, when you hear 23 personnel uh, and that's, that's usually a signal that is big boy football, <laughs> um, 23 personnel. I know you were working against some uh, staffers out there today in green jerseys, <laughs> uh, so it's not who you're going to see in Kansas City or in Denver, obviously. Uh, but it's usually a signal that um, you better put the hard hat on and you're going to get after it. As a tight end, 23 personnel, that means that three tight ends are out on the field. How jazzed up do you get? Um, because there's, it's, watching today, there was so much that you guys did uh, out of that personnel grouping. Yeah, you know, just first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to the uh, the Buck Two Bandits, as, as Gru <laughs> calls them. Our, our service squad comprised of uh, anywhere from um, any, anywhere from our our strength staff to our cafeteria people. Uh, they're an incredible unit, coached uh, coached impeccably on technique, <laughs> detail, and fundamentals. Uh, but when I, I mean, when I hear twenty three, it's going to be a great day at the office every time because I get to go out there and I get to be with all my best friends in the world and just, as you said, put the hard hat on and, and really get to some uh, six-inch and a cloud of dust type football. Yeah, no question about it. And by the way, I sent some, I tweeted out some video of, of the work that you guys were doing there. And I, there were some freaked out Raider fans who were like, who's 51? He looks like he's five foot three, you know, so <laughs> you had to kind of like, it's not... Those aren't the players. Pay for the uh, expectations, boys. We're yeah. on the goal line. Understand what the drill is. 
Exactly, exactly. But I, I do have to say, uh, there were a couple of uh, touch. I know it was just you know working against who you guys were working, but the uh, the way you were utilized there um, in in a, a bunch of different ways, including uh, out in the pattern and catching a couple of touchdown passes in that in that drill. Um, it got me thinking, um, you know, last year you're coming off the injury and still kind of probably working your way back from that injury confidence wise, physically wise, health wise, all of those things. Um, but it sure looks like you're cutting it loose uh, at this point. You're fully back um, from a mental standpoint. Number one, how good did it feel just to go through an off season where you weren't dealing with what you were dealing with this time last year? Yeah, um, this has been a great off season. Um, and it was light years better than the one that I had last year. Uh, no one likes injuries and, and no one likes having to rehab from them and relearning movements and making muscles stronger. Um, you know, that's, that was hard on me, you know, physically and mentally. Um, but right now I feel great. Um, I'm back with my back with my best friends and we're doing a, we're doing a really good job during all these OTAs. Um, and I feel really good and it's, uh, it's starting to show up on film, the hard work that uh, the group's been putting in. One more look back real quick, because I'm curious about this, and then we'll, we'll start moving forward and getting away from uh, injuries. I hate talking about injuries. Um, but typically, when, when you're in a rehab situation, yes, there's, there's work that you're doing uh, on your own, uh, especially in an offseason, obviously. But there's also a lot of time where rehab players are able to get into the building. You never had access to that, whether it was in uh, you know, um, um, Alameda, because COVID-19 hits, everything's shut down. There was nothing to, for you to go to, I'm assuming anyway, in Alameda, and then certainly not here in Las Vegas uh, and in Henderson. So how did you handle that? Because usually you have the expertise of the strength and conditioning coach, the medical staff, the building uh, at your disposable in, that, uh, uh, disposal in that kind of a situation. You didn't have that last year. Uh, yeah, that'd be accurate. Um, a lot of the work was... Um sort of self-maintenance and it was self-supervised by me um and i was uh i was i was going up to lsu and i was doing a lot of rehabilitation with them because those were the guys that uh, did the surgery they're i mean light years ahead of where a lot of people are right now in, in acl recovery and and rehabilitation um reconstructing my knee um which was a blessing for me to just know those people jack marucci and um those guys are, were absolutely a blessing, but a, a lot of it was spent at LSU. And when COVID came and it all got shut down, uh, I, I went back home and I kind of started from, from square one and had to do a lot of it on my own. Saw, saw Zay, uh, Alec and Derek out here, uh, at one of the little, one of the little parks around Las Vegas going and throwing and running routes. And I kind of just told myself it was about time to move out to Vegas and, and get with the guys and at least, start you know running routes at, at an 80 percent 85 90 percent tempo um and just start getting back into the swing of things and seeing how it went um and it all just kind of went from there it was it was a tough situation for a lot of guys who are who are rehabbing i mean i'm not you know i'm not the low in case it's not it wasn't a woe as me and no one was really going to wait up for me to rehab my acl no one was going to feel bad for me so at that point i, I just had to you know put myself to the grindstone and get it going. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the Raiders last year uh, did something fairly wise, bringing in Jason Witten to kind of it was, it was sort of an insurance for um, not to rush you uh, in, in, into the fray. I mean, there's there's always a danger in doing that. There's always there's complications sometimes to doing that. It kind of allowed you. Uh, I'm sure it was frustrating at times, but it allowed you to to kind of get back into the swing swing of things at a proper pace at a at, at a prudent pace. Um, that's all behind you now, and you finish the season strong uh last year and you go into year three um i'm not sure if you saw the clip of john gruden's um coaching clinic that he did for a high school coach uh friend of his but he talked a lot about you on this on this video i don't know if i don't know if you've seen it uh but uh to 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 give you a little bit of gist of it there was a segment devoted to you and the raiders plans for you and uh they've got big plans uh for you do you sense that do you feel that that uh, the confidence that they have in you and kind of the role that uh, they're building for you as you move into year three? Yeah, um, uh, that that's tremendously exciting. Um, I, I certainly heard about it. I got a, I got a couple of people to keep me updated on the things that uh, Gru does, but um, uh, I that's a lot of that. Vinny's kind of out of my control, um, and all I could really do is just be my best self every day and whatever package, whatever snap share, whatever, whatever comes out of that. Um, all I can control is how hard I work and what I put in. Um, and from there, Gruden calls the place. I mean, he sends personnel and it's my job to just make the plays dance when they come my way. But uh, I certainly, I certainly feel what, what coach is talking about. Um, and he's very forthright and honest about it. So that's, it's tremendously exciting for me. I, I love getting on the field, and I, I love playing with the other 10 guys on there. Um, it's hard to find better 10 than the ones that we have. We're talking to Raiders tight end Foster Moreau, uh, who is a grizzled veteran now going into year three. And Foster, <laughs> as I was looking at uh, practice today and, and, and just looking at the makeup of this roster, what's really interesting to me is – um, you know, when you come in as a rookie, obviously you're a rookie and everyone else is most, uh, everybody else is veterans and, and, and that's just the way it is. Um, but as you go into year three, I'm looking at that roster and so many of, so much of this team is your draft class and beyond and the 2020 draft class. Obviously there's some 2018, uh, you know, players that, that, that are, that are still here. Obviously Derek Carr, uh, the longest tenured player is still here, but there's been a changeover even just since you've gotten there and it's kind of trending more toward your contemporaries, your colleagues, the guys that you came into the league with. Um, is there a sense of that? I know it's Derek Carr's team, but there's an ownership shift that's, you know, transitioning to this young group of players, yourself included. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. Um, we do have a lot of youth on the team, um, but at the same time, with youth comes a lot of inexperience in, in certain pressured situations. So you obviously want to have a great mix in there, and that's what makes an awesome team, is having vets who aren't willing to share what makes themselves successful and, and youthful players who are willing to learn and take criticism and be open to learning from you know, people that are getting checks from the same places. Um, it, in my opinion, I, I think if you look at our team, what we're, what we're constantly going for, and there, there's certainly always going to be some, you know, a, a small sense of pride, you know, 2019 kind of 
the 2019 class, they kind of stick together. And the 2020 guys, you know, they, they're friends because they all have to go through the same stuff. You know, they have to go through the same rookie engagement programs. They're spending a lot of time together. Um, they're in the same rookie meetings. So you always get a nice affinity for those guys. You know, Max, Klee, Hunter, AJ, Alec, of course. Like, you have all these guys that you get to know really well. And through that, you kind of spend a lot of time with those people and they become great friends. Um, but I, I think a, a big goal of ours is that when you look at our team and everyone's talking, you really don't know who the leader is because everyone's leading by example and everyone's doing their jobs. And I mean, everyone's extremely strong. You don't know who the leader is because it could be the left guard. It could be the right tackle. It could be our, it could be our third wide receiver. It could be our slot. You know, it could be the like, niche right outside linebacker who comes in on third down only you don't know and for us that's that'd be a big point of pride for us that leadership can come from anywhere and knowledge comes from everyone you just have to be willing to pay attention and learn yeah and there and there are certain teams and certain players who um you know they, they 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 carry a hammer and they slug people over the head with it trying to be that leader whereas the, the good teams that I've been around, it ha- kind of happens more organically, and the best leaders are sometimes they, – they, they understand how to yield that power and yield that leadership in a way that's not um, obtrusive. It's not over the top. It kind of feels more natural, and it certainly feels like the way you're describing it, that not only is it organic and natural, but there's a, um, there's, there's a willingness for everybody to step up when needed and also a willingness for everyone to kind of defer or listen and allow players to speak up when needed as well. Absolutely. Um, that's something that I think everyone's going for. And, and it is hard. Leadership is a, leadership is a, is a finicky mistress um, because you really have to respect your teammates work um, at the end of the day for there to be any resemblance of leadership between the two of you. Um, because you, I mean, you can, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. It's kind of like lining a guy up behind you and like kind of trying to show him the way, you know, but then taking off on a dead sprint and, and he doesn't know what line to run. Right. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's tremendously difficult and, you know, no one, no one follows Derek Carr because he's the quarterback. We follow Derek because we have a tremendous amount of respect for the work that he puts in every day. The guy takes every snap, and he's not off. He, he's, he's a coach out there, and he makes us better every day. We have a tremendous amount of respect for Derek, and so he's naturally just a leader to us. He doesn't have to say much for us to snap into place and be the players that we are for Derek to be successful. Um, and you, you could have quiet forms of leadership. Like, um, like we know Josh Jacobs is an incredible player and he's very, very quiet and he chooses who he talks to. Um, and Josh is a tremendous leader because no one outworks Josh. No one outruns him. No one out efforts him. No one outplays him. And it shows up on Sundays and we have a tremendous amount of respect for these guys. Like, and there's guys that talk a little bit more, you know, John Abram is a very vocal leader, but um, he always manages to get the job done and he over communicates on defense. And that's just something we love about him because he brings his hard hat every damn day. Vinny. 
It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And I think he's in line for for a big season in a role that uh, probably better suits him. You know, Foster, when you mentioned Derek Carr, and I'm sure he doesn't want to hear anyone talking, um, you know, uh, for him like this. Uh, and I know that professional athletes, having done this for a long time, are, are good about putting the blinders on and trying to tune out the static and the nonsense um, that, that that's out there. Uh, but, you know, Derek Carr being the face of this franchise uh, and, and experiencing some of the losing that's happened uh, with this organization over his career here through no fault of his own, of his own. I don't, I, I believe, and I firmly believe that. Um, but is there a sense that, I mean, I'm sure you guys understand that. I'm sure you, him being the quarterback, he's going to be a target and um, hopefully it gets turned around and he's, and he's the target for good uh, news and, and, and good accolades rather than being the quarterback of a team that hasn't been able to break through. But is there a sense of not obligation necessarily, but, you know, you, you want to do right by Derek Carr because he deserves it. <laughs> you know, he deserves that chance to go out there and play in the playoffs and play on a bigger stage and show what he's capable of doing around a complete team. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. And, um, and it was well prefaced with, you know, you don't want to speak for Derek. And, and I don't because I, I can't speak for Derek. I, I know Derek well, and I consider Derek and I to be really good friends and great teammates. Um, but I, I don't want to speak for Derek. But I, I can say that along those lines, that's, um, that's pretty fair. Um, it's hard to tune out all the static um, because it'll just get in sometimes. I mean, it's everywhere. Yes. You know, uh, if, you, if you have any social media, if you have Instagram, if you have Twitter, if you have anything, if you have an ESPN app, if you have Bleacher Report, if you have whatever, um, they're going to figure out you like the Raiders because you're going to follow a lot of Raiders players and you're going to see a lot of Raiders tweets. Um, and so, you know, that's just, that's how the, that's how it's, that's how your social media is going to tailor your experience on its app to the Raiders. Right. Um, and you're going to see, you're going to see Derek Carr slander. Um, and we see it and I know he's heard it. Um, he's been playing this game for a long time and he's a very, very smart guy. I know he's heard it. Um, but I, I think for Derek, at the end of the day, he really does work his ass off every day. He goes out there and he makes us all better players. Um, and we respect his work a lot. So we do at times want to play for Derek because I mean, we don't think Derek's on the hot seat. <laughs> we, don't, we don't think Derek's Right. On the hot exactly. Seat. I try to we tell people that all the time. And whatsoever. You know, um, right. We're not, we're, uh, but I will say this. Um, we, we care not for for Twitter warriors and um, couch tweeters, um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter to us because if they were good enough, they'd be out here doing what he does. But they're not, and not many people are. Um, and for everything we put on Derek's back, um, for him to be able to shoulder that load and still play at an extremely high level for so much of the time is um, baffling. It's truly baffling to me. I think Derek's a great player, and he's a great friend and a great teammate. And I do love playing for Derek. Um, I love him as a quarterback, uh, just the same as I I love playing for John, or I love playing for Rich Bisaccia, or I love playing for Coach O or Coach Les or Wade Kaiser, or you know any of these guys that I've any of these coaches that I've had in in my life. But I think those guys always. I've had a massive amount of respect for their team's work, and I know Derek does. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think that's a long summary of saying, yeah, we love Derek. We will fight our ass off tooth and nail for Derek, for Darren, for Josh, for Alec, for all these guys, for Colton, for Alex, for Zay. I mean, all, all these people who put a tremendous amount of work in um, every day. Uh, I love all these offensive guys, all these defensive guys, and special teams is where I wake, make my bread and butter. But, yeah, that's my long answer. Yeah, and, and I'm glad. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, I, I've been around a while, and um, I'm glad you mentioned the people that you mentioned because there are a lot of good people in this organization, a lot of people who care. It hasn't quite worked out uh, maybe as quickly as people uh, would have hoped uh, up to this point. Um, but it's not for a lack of care or for that matter, uh, talent. Um, it's, it just needs to kind of come together. And last question for you along those lines, uh, and specifically to offense, uh, looking at the new offensive line, uh, Henry Ruggs uh, looks bigger and stronger. Brian Edwards looks bigger and stronger. You look completely healthy and you're flying around out there. Derek's doing what he does. Kenyon Drake, uh, bringing what he brings to, to, to the offense. I just feel like this offense has a chance to be and it was really good last year, uh, but but even better and more efficient. Obviously, it has to happen out on the grass. We all understand that. But from your vantage point and from what you've seen uh, out on the grass, in the meeting rooms, uh, you know, where can this offense go uh, from here? And what kind of ceiling are we even talking about? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, and it... it kind of brought something to my mind that, that good. We, we have coaches during our team meetings come up and, and talk to us, uh, talk to us about, you know, expectations and limits and ceilings and what we think we could do to be successful. But um, statistically, the honest answer, we, we need to get better in the red zone. Yep. Um, we need to get better on, on third down in the red zone. That's been a big point of emphasis for us this year. Um, Gruden's been calling them four-point plays. Um, you know, third down, tight red zone, four-point plays, being able to score a touchdown instead of sending out the field goal unit. Daniel Carlson's a great kicker, um, and we love Daniel, but we want to use Daniel as little as possible and try to kick as many extra points from 15 yards out as we can. Um, we want to get four points in those situations, and we're working our balls off to come up with a bunch of ways to do it. Um, we put in some awesome plays today, and I really hope that we're able to unveil those at some point in time. And I think we will because they looked really good on the practice field today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they did, uh, yeah. And, and there's no question about it. And I think that you know when you uh, when, when you start talking about that offense, and you mentioned you know the efficiency in the red zone went up last year, but. Uh, just not by enough with the scoring uh, of touchdowns. And, and, but what the encouraging thing about that is it's kind of gotten so narrowed now on what the offense needs to do. The, most of the bases have been co covered. Now it's just the, the margins, you know, getting a little bit better situationally in that red zone on third and shorts, like you, like you mentioned. It's not like the, this vast overhaul that needs to happen. It's just some fine tuning. And I think that knowing John Gruden, knowing your quarterback and, and you and everybody else. Uh, I think you're, you're drilling to the middle of the earth to get those little margins <laughs> almost perfected. Uh, you're never going to perfect it, but the improvements I think are, are going to be at hand because I know how hard uh, everyone's working uh, uh, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and you know, I, I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's ever truly going to be an overhaul. Um, 
it, it's as you said, it's it's tweaks, it's adjustments, it's different plays. I mean, it's not we don't need a whole different offense once we get to the tight red zone. We we need to execute our stuff and put the ball across the line, and that's that's really it. We could complicate it or simplify it as much as we want, um, but it's not going to change. Um, our fundamentals are still the same, and we just need to get the ball across the line, and really that's the end of the story. Absolutely, and uh, I like simple better, and uh, simple is usually uh, the way to go anyway, and uh, it is a simple answer, and uh, hopefully that's exactly what happens for you guys this year. Uh, Foster, I really appreciate uh, you spending some time in the huddle and your insight. Um, uh, I can't wait to get you back on uh, later on during the season. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. I know you got mini camp coming up next week, and then it's uh, pull out the plug for a little while uh, before uh, it really kicks in in late July. Um, can't wait to see it out there as well, but Truly, truly appreciate your time today, man. Thank you very, very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you, Vinny. I appreciate you having me on. You got it, man. Uh, that is Foster Moreau, uh, the Raiders' third-year uh, tight end. And I keep telling you guys, um, you know, John Gruden on that on that on that coach's uh, videotape. You got to go watch it. It's on YouTube. Watch the whole thing because you know we think we know football and all that, and I know that I don't. Um, not the way those guys do. Uh, but it's fascinating to learn, and it's fascinating to watch. Um, you know some of the drills, what they're focusing on. Hear him talk the talk, uh, and put it out on videotape and everything. But when it came to Foster Moreau in in, in particular, uh, hearing John Gruden talk about the plans for Foster Moreau, um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if this is a big year for Foster. And he does a lot of good things regardless, uh, but I think he's going to be more involved uh, on plays that people actually. Uh, see and, and, and count on the scoreboard and all that type of stuff. Um, and aside from the blocking and what he does on special teams, he's going to be a, uh, a, a target and a weapon uh, for this team. We're You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonsignor.